Welcome to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues, Ocean River Shields of Achilles, with your host, Dr. Rob Moyer. Find out what others are doing and what you can do to create a greener and blue planet Earth. Now, here's Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi, welcome. Today, we're talking how your lawn can fight climate change. This is a, a yeah, so with me is... Uh, Hunter Lambert. Hello, Hunter. Hello. And Isabel Ranowski. Hi, everybody. So last time we were on the air, we were talking about going town by town and reducing the pollution from lawns. And now it's April. But before you commence spreading pounds of quick-release nitrogen fertilizer, please consider letting your lawn combat climate change. Quick-release nitrogen fertilizer prevents roots from growing deep, grass plants from filling out with more foliage, and from their lawn taking up more carbon. And that's an important part of the fight against the impacts of our extreme weather and so forth, is to reduce the amount of carbon in the atmosphere, and we want more growth, not less, from our plants, even the lawns. And still go, you know, keep cutting them and stuff. But, uh, so environmental groups are calling on people to take out their lawns because lawns pollute and, and to put in other plants. But blaming lawns for polluting is like blaming children for too many marbles on the kitchen floor. It's better to reduce the number of marbles given to children in the kitchen, and it's better to stop the use of quick-release nitrogen for established lawns. Calling for, the plantings, calling for the planting of plants other than grass makes no sense if the lawn is used by people because these plants will get trampled on and die. When people are told to get rid of their lawn, they're apt instead to replace lawns with patios, teestone gravel, or synthetic turf. Now, combating the climate crisis from extreme weather events, lawns, act as sponges, soaking up the excess water and buffering homes from the impacts of this extreme uh, weather that we're getting. So lawns then, like a sponge, release the water slowly so you don't have the erosion problems that you would have if there was no lawns around. When it comes to global warming, it's better to replace patios with lawns. You're replacing those hard surfaces with sponges. And so let the grass buffer your home from the onslaughts and it will feel, also it'll feel better on your toes when you're walking around on a, on a lawn to the patio. So it's not the lawns that pollute, it's the fast release fertilizer that we're spreading on lawns that causes harmful algal blooms and ocean dead zones. So people have to realize that what they do within their own property is having a negative impact when you're over-fertilizing on the water, wetlands and waterways, uh, marine life, fish life, um, outside of your property. So, Hunter, what should we spread on our lawns and why? Yeah, um, like you said, there is a, a proper way that you can fertilize your lawn. Um, it really is that quick-release connection that causes big problems. So I, I mentioned this like, in past uh, radio shows as well. Um, you really want to look for slow-release nitrogen in your fertilizer. It'll will, it will stay on the back. Um, 
And what soil detection is, is it's actually not just altered or coated so that it has time to break down in relation to the soil. And this has benefits both, both like for the actual turf and economically and efficiency-wise. Um, turf health-wise, it allows your um, turf to grow more uniform without um, like fresh flush growth or um, unwanted thatch, which can cause disease problems. You have healthier soils um, because the components of the fertilizer actually feed these microbes in the soil. You have a healthier, deeper root system, and your lawn is less, like, less likely to be burned. Yes. Um, in terms of uh, economic side, um, your soil section is going to last longer. So you have less application, but it's actually still feeding your grass. Um, you can have one application in the fall instead of frequent application, and you're losing less nutrients to this runoff and leaching that you have with the uh, quickly section. So overall, you're applying it one time, but still be able to feed your grass over a long period of time, and you're not losing it, which is running off into the water sources. That's great. Mm-hmm. Now, you were just referring to uh, uh, a fact page that you wrote that you guys can all see mm-hmm. if you go to Ocean River Institute or OceanRiver.org is our website, www.oceanriver.org, and they clip on, what is it called, don't destroy the water or don't pollute the waters, because we're starting with um, clean, you know, clean water. It's called Stop the Destruction of Waterways and Help Take Down Roundup. Right. And so if you click on that page, you, you can then get more information about slow-release fertilizer by clicking on that word to get to your page. And these, it's a nice chart you've got there of, of as you told us about stuff. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really amazing that if you don't fertilize the lawn or you just give it a half pound per thousand square feet once a year of slow-release nitrogen, the roots will go deeper, and that helps your plants be more healthy uh, and helps them be able to uh, withstand drought longer because the moisture is sinking into the ground, um, what's available. And uh, these healthier plants, are then going to put on more biomass, mm-hmm. uh, which makes them taking up more carbon, which is great. And they're going to grow denser. They're putting on more foliage. And so that's more resistant to uh, weeds and pests, all because we got rid of the fast-release stuff and, um, and brought on just a little bit. And basically, we're asking people to treat their lawns the way the golf course do or the town mm-hmm. does, which is, you only feed it when it's hungry, and uh, you make sure none of the fertilizer leaves, all goes to the plants. It doesn't go anywhere else to pollute and stuff. So that's really great. Uh, Isabel, yes. so what's the other half of our, our two-pronged approach to modifying lawn care for the better of the environment and us? Yeah, so um, we thought it was really important to include Roundup, the harmful herbicide Roundup, in this uh, project that we've been working on because, as you may have known, um, Roundup is a known human carcinogen. And so the main ingredient, glyphosate, causes not only cancer, but, you know, a, a whole slew of other health problems, developmental problems, et cetera. Um, and Monsanto has also been held liable for causing cancer in um, a former groundskeeper in the past recently. And so we thought for human health, it's, it's just, you know, the, we really need to help take down Roundup. Um, and does it accumulate in our bodies and yeah, yeah. So Roundup is also there have been studies conducted, long-term studies that show that over the past few decades, uh, the Roundup, you know, showing up in humans has increased 
500 to 1,000%. And so it's, it's very alarming. Um, it's in breast milk. You're, you know, giving it to your children and like, it's just, it's very alarming. That's because um, they store it in the fat cells. And so milk has a lot of fat in it. So unfortunately the mother is passing all the toxins that are held in fat cells to their children. Yeah. So let's stop today putting down Roundup. Yes, exactly. What else can they do other than Roundup? Yeah, so of course um, we got to research the alternative if we're going to stop using Roundup. Um, there's a whole list of them also on the Ocean River website. Um, I also made a chart. <laughs> and so <laughs> my chart includes information about uh, using mulch, homemade herbicides, um, herbicide alternatives, and mechanical heat-based approaches, weed whacking, manual removal. So there are options out there is what I want to convey. Um, and, you know, it could be even as simple as making your own herbicide at home just from a gallon of vinegar, white vinegar, uh, one cup of salt, and one tablespoon of dish soap. So it Mix could, it up yeah. and put it in a squirt bottle and go out there and squirt the, the foliage of your weed. Yeah, it could be that easy to stop using a harmful chemical on your lawn um, and in, in our communities. And so I really encourage any listeners to check, out, check that chart out. It will be really helpful um, in trying to stop using this harmful herbicide Roundup. Again, it's www.oceanriver.org, and just follow the, um, the pictures and the words. And uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, thank you. Yeah. So, so therefore, uh, we sent out forty. We sent out letters to forty towns uh, back in February. Mystic River one. Yes, yeah, so we started with the Mystic River. We had the fish kill there. We talked about last week, mm-hmm. and so we spread, you know, from there outward. 40 towns, and um, and then you guys had to commence calling. And we found that it was a really hard process because you have to call the conservation agent. And th- as he said before, they have limited hours, they're overworked and stuff. And it's, so it's repeated callings, and then finally you get through, and then they have to understand what you're talking about, and they have to bring upstairs. Mm-hmm. And so um, lots of being passed more people. Yeah, yeah, just a huge bureaucratic process. Um, so, um, so Isabel, tell us what you learned about um, talking with some of these conservation agents. Yeah, so I guess one of our major findings um, all along has been that a bylaw is really not going to work out. Um, and so that was a major, major part of what we were trying to do with this project, getting good bylaws passed to um, to have just better smart and smarter lawn care practices. Um, yeah, so like you called Danvers, and who did you talk to and what happened there? Yeah, so um, in Danvers, I talked to Erin. Um, she's an environmental planner in Danvers, Massachusetts, and she actually said that the CONCOM does not have the authority to change the laws. Um, the select board does this, and they have a system where only at certain times can a new law um, or changes to the law be introduced or um, considered. And so actually the next time that we would even have a chance of, uh, you know, presenting our ideas for a bylaw, the next time we would be able to do that would be in fall 2020. So she said, sure, but come back in fall 2020. Yes. (laughs) And and I want to back up a bit because uh, the, the idea of a bylaw came about because Falmouth passed a bylaw 
And so for five or six years now, they've been only putting one pound instead of five pounds in all slow-release nitrogen. And so we figured that other towns should, should do that too. Uh, we think that a bylaw is necessary because the uh, applicators will tell you they know better. You've got to do it their way. So I wrote to Scott, a lawn care, and said, look, I got a small patch of lawn. I want to put slow release on it. And they said, you can't. It will die. You've got to use our product and stuff. Yeah. So we started off with this push of, of um, bylaws. And then uh, Denham was another town you talked to. Yeah. So um, Denham was also interesting. In Dedham, I talked to Alyssa, conservation agent, um, and she was very kind. Um, you know, most people that we talk to are pretty accepting of our message, and, you know, they agree that this is important, an important issue. Mm. Um, however, eventually she told me that Dedham is not interested in introducing a lawn care management bylaw uh, to the town of Dedham, but they were pretty open about um, any educational materials we could provide them. And so that's that's been kind of a common theme. I feel like con-cons are always open to education um, of a message that they believe in and of, of issues that they feel are really important. So Linfield was another one to talk to? Yeah, Linfield was another one. So I talked to Emily in Linfield, um, and they were a little bit less direct about what kind of approach they wanted to take. I had told them... You know, previously we were we were focused on a bylaw, and so I was trying to push that as much as I could. Um, but she, I just felt like she was kind of dodging the issue of a bylaw, probably because you know it is difficult to get it done, as we have learned. Um, but again, she was open to educational programming. She said she, as part of their stormwater management plan, they were already doing education. Um, but she did express that you know they're they're still that's still in the works and they would love for ONRI to be a part of that and assist in those efforts. Which we'll do. We'll be back in touch with them on, on doing education. Yes, definitely. We're working on, on our education stuff on our and then, side. And then Burlington. Yeah, so Burlington um, was the most direct out okay. of all of the ConComs. Um, I spoke to John Keeley in Bur- Burlington and um, what he said was that the commission had sponsored sponsored a public talk about the issue of lawn fertilization. So they believe it is an issue of concern. Um, however, he was very honest when he says that the bylaw is just not feasible. Right. It would be, he said, um, you know, people don't want the ConCon telling, telling them what they can and can't do to their lawns. And besides that, the bylaw would be virtually unenforceable. Um, and so, you know, he, he, he also expressed that we have good ideas and we are fighting for an important cause, but unfortunately the bylaw would just be too tough to pass. Yeah. So, right. So we learned that, you know, this is not the right. And of course, initially we were going to the conservation commissioners saying, for the love of clean water, would you urge your selectmen or government to put in a bylaw? because you guys speak for clean water, but they don't want to urge the bylaw passage. That's they feel that's out of their purview. Yeah. And it's a lot of work. And on the flip side, uh, when uh, Falmouth got their bylaw through the state, uh, passed a law saying the towns can no longer do that kind of stuff. Yeah. And Falmouth was exempted because of um, their, uh, rep- their senator was 
Senate president and mm-hmm. he slipped it in. Mm-hmm. But um, we want to undo that law, and one way to undo that law would be to have uh, towns put up a bylaw, and then the attorney general would strike it down. And after she struck down six or a dozen or more, um, then you might have a case to change the law. Uh, however, uh, I spoke to Arlington Conservation Commission, and they uh, he, the, the chairperson, was totally up on uh, the Falmouth bylaw and uh, realized that the way to address this was in the permitting for uh, properties adjacent to wetlands that he could put in conditions on how they had to treat that property. And so after our presentation, he, he adjusted the language of the, of the wetland permitting process to be only slow-release nitrogen, um, no herbicides, you know. So that put it into the, um, into the wetland regs or wetland permitting stuff. And so that's the approach we're going to now is to trying to get towns to tighten up um, on their, uh, to just modify their wetland permitting stuff. Mm-hmm. And if enough towns do that, um, then we might be able to build a case for adjusting the state law. But that would be a year down the road, and it might even be longer because it's been a lot of work just to get, you know, where we just to get into the offices, just get into the Conservation Commission meetings. Um, so we're putting a lot of attention in, in, in the education materials. And mm-hmm. for Linfield, where they said, little Linfield? That, yeah. So they didn't want to talk about a bylaw. Mm-hmm. And they probably, and we found this in other towns, that they think they've done something about the wetland regs. They just redid that. So not, they think that they're up to date. Yeah. And they are up to date by the state standards. But if you read carefully what the UMass Extension mm-hmm. Service is recommending, they're actually recommending your wetlands 80, 100% slow-release nitrogen fertilizer and not some kind of compromise that, you know, like two applications of regular fertilizer mm-hmm. or two pounds or whatever. Um, right. So they, um, so we need to, um, yeah, so that's the effort. We're trying to get, oh, and so for Linfield, um, they said, you know, come help us with the education material. Mm-hmm. And so the plan is theirs to get into the education material uh, only use slow release, no more than half a pound. And when they see that in the materials, maybe they will, uh, and then, with, then they may adjust their, their permits, um, the permitting process. But, that, but that's kind of our approach there. Okay. Uh, so let's take a short break, and we'll come back and talk more about the education materials that we're putting together with the towns after this break. On a Cape Cod shore, 16 striped bass fish and a horseshoe crab were found dead, killed by a harmful algal bloom. The town blamed excessive lawn fertilizer for polluting the water. They restricted lawn fertilizing to once a year. The state overruled, mandating five times a year. Though the striped bass died on a Falmouth shore, fertilizer pollution is a national problem, clogging our waterways. If you believe in our rights to clean water and beaches, if you want to stop the killing of fish by excessive fertilizer, please join with us. Make a donation for responsible stewardship. Acting together, we can have clean beaches and more fish. Please visit www.oceanriver.org. That's oceanriver.org. All together, I want to 
Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. are listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi. Hunter and Isabel and I are talking about how your lawn can combat climate change and protect your home from the ravages of extreme weather events. And um, we've been going to town by town, conservation committee by conservation committee, and the calls come back, please help them, us, with an education, you know, messaging, education material. So, Hunter, tell us a bit about what you and Isabel have been working on in that department. Yeah, I know you guys mentioned we're, we are switching over to working on educational material. And for us, what it looks like right now is Isabel and I have been drafting up um, sort of like a, a pamphlet to give to towns. Um, I'm working on one side, Isabel's working on the other. She's more focusing on slogans and more eye-catching stuff to get people's attention. Isabel, do you want to touch on those for a little bit? Yeah, so... Um I decided to make this really colorful because that helps to attract the eye. Um, well, first off, we just brainstormed. Yeah, a bunch that of, was you know, the very line. first step, for sure. And, and then uh, we did some kind of sorting, right? And then Yeah, so uh, we came up with 10 different slogans to put on, basically on like the front side of our pamphlet, I guess. And um, they pretty much describe and summarize what we're trying to work for. And so... We split it up into three tiers, we decided, because we we saw that some of them are a little bit more specific than other ones and more, you know, kind of drive the message home a little bit in more detail. And some of them were more like, well, this is, you know, short and sweet, and that will make people want to read more. It'll make them, you know, want to get hooked into this. And so our top tier slogans are, um, they're the biggest on the sheet. So it's help your lawn fight climate change. That's the title of our program today. Um, the next one, don't trash grass. 
use slow-release fertilizer. And then our last one in the top tier, we have more grass, less patios. Let your lawn be a sponge for the environment. Um, the second tier has stop the spreading to have green lawns and clean water. Um, this middle one I really like. So it's, do you know where your lawn fertilizer mostly goes? Hint, it's not going to the grass. Okay. <laughs> I like yeah. Yeah. I get that's something that most people don't realize that this actually goes into the ocean. So I think that was a good one. Um, and then we have green lawns can coexist with clean waters when you don't use quick release fertilizer. Um, and our most detailed ones, I guess, are are at the bottom. They kind of explain everything that's already on top. So we have it's April before you commence spreading pounds of fast release fertilizer. Consider letting your lawn combat climate change. There will be clean water with green lawns when you use only a slow-release fertilizer once a year in spring or fall. Then we have, it's not lawns that pollute. It's the fast-release fertilizer you're spreading that causes harmful algal blooms. And finally, replace your patio with a lawn and thank grass for being a sponge when extreme weather events hit. So those last four pretty much, like I said, explain in, in more detail all the you know more significant bigger headers that we have on top. And I feel like this really drives people in because it's simple messaging, but it helps get the point across. Right. And you've done a great job of putting high contrast. You know, some are white against dark backgrounds. Some are black against white backgrounds. It looks nice. And it, it pops at people. And we want them from a distance to be able to, you know, unobtrusively pick up the information without having to pick up a piece of paper and put it close to their face. Yeah. Maybe we can even like, upload a PDF to the website for people that won't get it in a paper copy so they can actually see what it looks like. Yeah, or we yeah. can blow it up into a big poster board <laughs> yeah. and go to um, Boston Green Fest and other places. And, yeah. Uh, great. So, and then the flip side, uh, Hunter, you're designing so it could be folded if we want to make yeah. it into a trifold or mm -hmm. it can just be the flat side. Yeah, so what I'm doing is I'm... <coughs> Um, synthesizing all of our research into um, what we call Ocean River Institute's Guide to Responsible Lawn Care Practices. So I broke this down um, into where is my fertilizer going, ORI's lawn care practices, and what is slow release nitrogen, and why, why is it good for my lawn? Because I thought all three of these things are important for people to know. <laughs> why am I doing it? What am I doing? And what is it? What am I putting on my lawn? Nice. Um, and so, so tell us the practices. Yeah, so we're kind of lawn care practices. We, we made it into six um, kind of short, simple steps that people can get across people easily. Um, the first being use fertilizer that is at least 80% slow loose nitrogen. Second being apply a half pound of fertilizer per 1,000 square feet a year. The third, leave grass clippings on the lawn after you mow because this is the equivalency of about a pound of uh, nutrients per year. Um, the fourth thing, apply fertilizer only once between September 30th and May 15th. Um, the next being, do not fertilize before or during heavy precipitation. And the last being, don't use Roundup. I know we've touched on those all a little bit before and why we do that and why we don't do that such thing. That's great. And, you know, I, it's good to put the dates out there. You know, Absolutely. it's okay in the spring before May 15th because with, uh, the water heats up, the daylight gets longer, you're more apt to have blooming algae and stuff. Yeah. And um, it's, it's better after a long winter to give them some of that slow-release food. Mm -hmm. And then in the fall, uh, or in the fall, not both, but one or the other, um, 
after September 30th because that's when the water is the warmest. And so we want to let the water cool down a bit. But, of course, you want to get it out there before the snow falls. Absolutely. And, and this is very much um, our language and our, um, like, draft of this because our hopes are to go to towns and work with them to um, kind of teach them, not teach them, explain to them why we put what we put on here and, like, hopefully get them to put their their input and their feedback and put this stuff into their language. And I know you've done that That's before. Right. You did that in Peabody, right? Do you want to yes, that? exactly. So um, last summer, uh, Peabody had an intern, Peabody, Massachusetts, who contacted me because they'd seen our grass work or our lawn stuff on the website. And, uh, and we talked through how to do, a, you know, effective uh, lawn care. Uh, and he was also interested in composting and some other things. Uh, and then, uh, we um, just a week ago or so sent out a second batch of letters. You know, despite all the calling you've been doing yes. and uh, numerous times, um, and so we, we went north. So we included Peabody, and the woman from Peabody uh, emailed me and said, well, we've had an intern doing stuff, um, but we'd welcome to talk with you some more, you know. And I had to write back to her and say, well, I've got to apologize that <laughs> I actually sent you kind of the form letter that asking everybody but, I, I, you know, you guys have the best, as, I, as far as I know, the best <laughs> program in the state. Hey, I know familiar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, but it's so important that each town owns their education guidelines. Absolutely. So that's why um, we want to collaborate with different communities to make sure that it, it resonates as local and not, mm-hmm. not too much science to people stuff. Uh, okay. So where are we? We're going to... Um, Oh, we're going to talk about, um, Isabel, what, what you learned about um, working with Lynn and Act- Linfield and Acton and Weston? Yeah, so in each of these towns, um, we had initially tried to get into contact with the CONCOM to work on educational programming. Um, we did after much effort. <laughs> yes, yes. After a while, I definitely got through to somebody. Um, but I basically referred to not the CONCOM, like we had originally had thought would be appropriate, but there are various committees and task task forces um, in different towns, you know, it varies town by town for sure. Um, but for example, in Linfield, I was directed to, um, to attend a task force meeting. And I think the task force is on issues um, on the waterfront and in the watershed. And so that's, you know, I feel like most of these committees are, have a more specific, um, focus than, than the CONCOMs traditionally do. And so similarly in Acton, um, I spoke with Bettina and she, she informed me that Acton is actually interested in creating um, an agricultural committee. And so they are, they are starting that up um, and that I was informed that that would be the best route to take. Right, because they include lawns as, <clears throat> under the purview of the agricultural team. Mm-hmm. So what are we going to do with Acton? So with Acton, I guess um, they had actually told us to wait until May or June to call again. Let's right, get the committee together. Yeah. So they're getting the committee together. Um, and Bettina said she was going to let me know how, you know, what, what the timeline is going to be. Um, and hopefully we can just go speak to the agriculture committee and, you know, promote our educational materials, get the message out, and see how we can work with them to exactly. do that. And then we want them to claim credit for what they present to the town, you know, so that's, 
why would, you know, we don't, we're not telling them go campaign for this or that. We are saying, here's what, what we think you can do. You might have ideas of what you think you can do. You know, how can we mesh those two? And, I mean, you guys own it, you know, but can you work with language and stuff? Because yeah. it's got to be owned by the locals in order to have staying power. That's yeah, great. Definitely. Do you want to tell us about the other town? Yeah, so the last one was Weston. Um, they actually have a sustainability committee, and that was newly formed as well. Um, I spoke with Michelle, and she was kind enough to, to connect me um, with that committee. And so she had actually um, originally connected me to the sustainability committee because she said the CONCOM doesn't do bylaws, um, but I'm sure the sustainability committee would be able to help us with educational materials as well because it sounded like the CONCOM was really busy out in Weston. Exactly. And the CONCOM thinks they've got the best wetland permitting process in the state because mm-hmm. they follow the state guidelines and we're doing something more than the state guidelines. Well, we can't talk to them about that unless their sustainability committee adopts uh, practices that are more stringent than what the state is calling for than they may have in their weapons. And so rather than trying to get the conservation commissioners to think that they could do better with their wetland stuff, we'll let the local constituents of the town, the sustainability committee, um, put, be calling around town, you know, only a half pound slow-release nitrogen in spring or fall, and that should um, help the um, conservation commissioners. They can just quietly change the permit and, and nobody knows better. And that's all great. We want them all to look good. They all mean the most and are the most confident at managing, reducing pollution in their communities. Um, so let's, let's talk about some individual towns. Um, mm-hmm. and, and one of them is right here in Cambridge. Yeah. Hunter, well, you both know here. Yeah. Cambridge is a fun one. Um, so for those of you who don't know what cold calling is like, it involves lots of calling and not picking up. <laughs> So um, we actually called Cambridge like three times and left voicemails with no return emails, calls, nothing. And so uh, earlier this week, um, you guys were saying, I think they had called. Yeah, no, yeah. yeah. And so earlier this week, oh, good. So like I was going to say, so I was actually in charge of Cambridge for a long time. I had done each of the three first calls. (laughs) And so I really did think that they were screening my calls or something and like they (laughs) my out-of-state area code and didn't like that and, like, didn't want to talk to me or something. But then Hunter... Yeah, so when Rob told us, okay, we're going to give it one last try, we're going to go, it's about looking at look each other and they're like, oh, God. Like, please, no. I don't want to do it. I knew I didn't want to do it yeah. because I did the first... I called three times already, so I knew... I really wanted to yeah. talk to Hunter. And so I said I'd do it. And you have an out-of-state? Uh, I do. Yeah, okay. yeah in California. So I told them I'd do it. It gets to Cambridge, and I panic. I'm like, okay, can we save it for the end? I don't want to do it yet. I'm not emotionally ready for this. Um, so it gets to the end. It gets to the end. It's left. And it's both like, okay, you have to do it. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it. And I'm like, okay, they're not going to pick up anyways. They don't want to hear from us. It rings once, and I get an answer. I'm like, oh, God, I didn't, I didn't think this far. I didn't think this far. Like, so I'm like, what do I do? Like, actually speak. Um, so when I first talked to, oh, I forgot her name. I wouldn't yeah, remember. Okay. Um, we'll quiz you on that. Um, but um, she originally was uh, a little cold. She said that she had to receive our calls, um, which maybe there's a mistake going on there. Um, but I was kind of telling her what we're doing, what we're looking for. 
And she kind of was just saying, oh, we already have permitting here in Cambridge. It's pretty strong. And I'm actually already working on an education campaign. And I was like, oh, look, like I'd, I'd love to hear about what you guys are doing there. Because like uh, um, this whole process has been a learning process. And I'd love to hear what, like we get excited when we talk to Arlington. They say, oh, we have a permit. Like, oh, send it to us, please. Like, yeah. We'd love to see what you're doing. And um, when I said that, she kind of changed her tone. And she was like, yeah, I know what it's like to be an intern and have to do cold calls. And, like, the worst thing to hear is no. And so I'm not going to say it to you. And so if you want to meet, I'd love to hear what you have to say. And um, you can hear, hear what I have to say. So it was great. So you'll do that. Yeah, no. I got to schedule meetings. Yeah, we, <laughs> she's supposed to, I emailed her and supposed to reach back to me. Um, so we can kind of talk about, like, what is in their permitting. Um, maybe talk about what we suggested permitting, make their stronger, see what they have. And then talk about um, her personal education campaign that she's working on. It'd be interesting yeah. to hear what, what they're doing, what they think the best idea is for in Cambridge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's good for you to, to really push the idea of a half pound slow lose nitrogen yes. in your permitting stuff. And it'll, you won't get a response to that, but at least you've made that clear. And then you'll spend most of your talking about her education yeah. program. She did tell you she was very interested in, in the... Uh, Lawn care education. Yeah, no, yeah. She definitely said she's like yeah. last year I started my own my own thing here, and this year we're going to make it more hands on. So I'm like I mentioned to learn yeah. what that is, what exactly. that kind of stuff. So it seemed like we're both just eager to listen and learn. So and they'll be pollinators of taking that information down. Exactly. Out. I told her, I told her that I'm like we're working on a statewide thing. So if there's an idea you guys, you have that we can carry on when we're going to town to town because that's what we're doing. Yeah, it'd be great. Excellent. So you amplify your voice and stuff. That is great. Well, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, um, we're going to talk about um, how that Isabel and I went to a meeting in Dover with the Conservation Commission there. Not me. No, you were tied up in the car, right? Gagged <laughs> and bound. And you're actually a student still. You had to go to some classes, I think, as I recall. Um, thank you. We'll be right back. Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. On a Cape Cod shore, 16 striped bass fish and a horseshoe crab were found dead, killed by a harmful algal bloom. The town blamed excessive lawn fertilizer for polluting the water. They restricted lawn fertilizing to once a year. The state overruled, mandating five times a year. Though the striped bass died on a Falmouth shore, fertilizer pollution is a national problem, clogging our waterways. If you believe in our rights to clean water and beaches, if you want to stop the killing of fish by excessive fertilizer, please join with us. 
U.S. Make a donation for responsible stewardship. Acting together, we can have clean beaches and more fish. Please visit www.oceanriver.org. That's oceanriver.org. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. are listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. that your lawn acts as a sponge and absorbs the energy and then releases water slowly back in to avoid erosion. So rather than take out lawns, uh, we're recommending you take out patios and put in lawns. It'll be more comfortable underfoot, but you'll also have a sponge protecting your house a bit. And um, we've been going town to town, and we actually, Isabel and I went out to Dover, Massachusetts, the long, winding, dark roads of Dover, a little different than uh, Brookline and Somerville, where we live. And, um, yeah, so we got out there and uh, down the basement, they assembled. And we got there early, and there was a, a weed control guy mm-hmm. who was there who'd been working on the waterways removing invasive weeds. And uh, that was interesting talking with him. And then uh, we were next on the agenda after him. And, uh, he doesn't even round that, does he? Right. I don't know what, you know, he mostly just harvests it, I think. Um, I think, like, physically, with, like, machinery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, however, um, so the, the Conservation Commission was particularly interested in our Roundup ban mm-hmm. because they have been being, they're being barraded by the industry saying, you've got to use our product because it breaks down mm-hmm. in 48 hours, no big deal. And um, and so they're really interested. But, you know, I had to make clear, look, we're only talking about banning it from, um, from the lawns. We're talking lawn care. You know, how you treat poison ivy, all bets are off. You know? <laughs> um, because I, you know, and, and then they tried to get more suggestions from us. And I just said, basically, you need to decide these on a case-by-case basis. You know, this, this uh, woody, you know, what they were doing is letting them paint the roundup on stems that have been cut and that's very spot specific and that's not where we're not going to be generic on how you approach stuff and that's way beyond our pay grade um yeah so talk a little bit about you know how they were asking you about roundup yeah well i feel like i should preface uh what i'm going to say with the fact that dover is actually surrounded by the charles river on yeah, two of the four borders yeah, on the Charles River. Yeah, so on two sides of, like, the rectangle that is the town of Dover. Um, and so these issues are important, and the commission was happy to listen to us because, probably especially because they are located pretty much on the water for the most part. Um, but, yes, they had a lot of questions about Roundup. Um, we did have to send them, you know, all 
all the studies that we have extracted our own information from. Um, But another thing that they were concerned about, I think, was that um, they made this comment that they said um, most people in the town of Dover actually do their lawn care through a lawn care like company or service. Yeah, that was pretty funny. It was funny. And they said that um, here's a, uh, we're going to bring information about a brand of of, uh, fertilizer. Yeah, that was slow release. So that your hardware store can carry it. And they go, we have no hardware stores in Dover. And yeah. only about eight people spread fertilizer and four of them are sitting here on the commissioners, you know. <laughs> yeah. So basically, like, the commissioners are, in, are, like, aware of smart lawn care practices. They know not to use Roundup. They know not to go to companies that use harmful practices that don't know any better or just don't want to do any better. Um and so that, that seems like an issue on education as well. That seems like an issue that education could really help tackle because people just like to do whatever makes their lawns, whatever can make their lawns look good. Um, but more people need to be like those commissioners who actually do their own lawn care. Well, you are right because you gave them the recipe for making home-brewed herbicide. And, you know, the Dover people could understand. I mean, yeah, they got huge lawns there, but, you know... Um, and we backed it up with, you know, if you just do slow release, you'll have less weeds to begin with and stuff. So yeah, exactly. So it was a good, uh, two, you know, two going um, back and forth and stuff. And Yeah, um, they like the homemade recipe. Right. So, um, yeah, that's a good point. We're going to have to get that under the brochure, I think. Yeah, no, the whole, her recipe of a gallon of oh. vinegar. Yeah. Yeah. Isabel's secret recipe. Well, no secret. It's a famous recipe. <laughs> the Isabel famous recipe for, for Roundup. Um, so this is, this is why each town is unique, and each town has different questions that they bring up. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is what they've heard, you know, when they were all quizzing us about low-water grass and stuff, and they knew all about that stuff, but they were just, they were just happy to talk about it. I mean, not yeah. many people come in like we do and stuff. So that was Dover, and um, and so so like what is it? Like two days a week, you spend half a day just calling these forty groups, and now we've added uh, forty-seven more towns, mostly to the north. Mm-hmm. Peabody was one of them. Um, so uh, one day you're calling one group, and the next day you're calling the next, and it's just a constant calling. But as a result of all that. We did get through, and we are scheduled meetings for Lexington, April 8th, Stoneham, April 16th, Danvers, April 25th, mm-hmm. uh, and, of course, um, we're going to be um, working with the education teams. And so as that starts spreading out, um, this is another way to get more in the yeah. more on board with the right process. So um, we would like... The listeners to join with us in this effort, and you may do that by um, going to oceanriver.org, www.oceanriver.org, and uh, one of the six causes is the lawn care program, which is clean water. We may rewrite that to be, you know, lawns combating climate change or something, uh, and um, and be educated, but also. Um, Sign up in the upper right corner for our e-alerts. You can always unsubscribe, but we put out, you know, opportunities to make a difference. Uh, and one of those opportunities is this webpage where we invite you 
to sign a letter that we will be taking to municipalities across Massachusetts. Um, and so we have lots of people signing our letters, but about 10% will take the time to write a personal comment. And that's all that counts at the end of the day. Uh, and so uh, it's just really interesting hearing from people who no longer live in Massachusetts but still care about a town or, um, and of course, people in town. Uh, it's, you know, so please join us and uh, visit our website. Check out what um, Isabel and um, Hunter have, have done for us. Uh, you can hit reply and they'll reach us at um, info at oceanriver.org. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Isabel and Hunter each have their own accounts, be, uh, Ocean River accounts. They'd be happy to write back. Uh, but we just, it's a long, slow process. And I'm hoping that come next March, we'll have enough towns who have modified their practices accordingly that we can uh, coordinate with the Massachusetts Association of Conservation Commissioners about maybe seeing some statewide changes done to the rigs. But we've got a long way to go there, and we really appreciate your help in helping uh, your favorite Massachusetts community take a look at what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Want to add to that? Um, no, I guess we'll see you guys next week, and we'll have more <laughs> updates for you guys on all the calls we're doing. Yeah, um, and... You know, I think that it's been slow to start this process, kind of. It kind of took a while to get our first meeting at Dover. But, you know, now we're kind of refining our strategy and our messaging. And so we already have three meetings for this month alone um, that will probably grow. And so, yeah, I think that we're we're well on our way to, um, you know, really buckling down in this project. You're kind of breaching the walls, you know, with getting after multiple calls, you know, you breach the wall into Cambridge, you know, and it's <laughs> almost uh, like that makes you keep going. It helps yeah. to feel it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, you know, this is the way bureaucracies are. They make it difficult to get through and you just got to stay on the course and keep at it. And I'm glad you guys didn't quit on Cambridge and I'm glad that uh, I'm good at cracking the whip and keeping you calling back and stuff. And, and thank you. <laughs> but it's, it's really exciting. When you do get through to people, they're always happy to talk. They're oh, almost yeah. always happy to talk with you. Yeah. yeah. Um, because uh, it's just for these conservation officers to have someone reaching out uh, constructively like this is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, wow, we still got a few more minutes here. Um, I'm sure we'll have more updates as the weeks go on. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, I want to talk about Concord. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, so because um, Concord was an example where um, you got through. What, what happened at first? Yeah, so at first I I was just chatting multiple times with, I think, the conservation agent there. Um, well, of course, I couldn't get through a few times. Then eventually I got through. Um, and then I was referred to speak with the director of the Con- Conservation Commission, uh, whose name is Delia. And so, you know, now I got a new contact. Now I got to try to establish contact with a new person, a new number. That had uh, challenges, of course. I was sent to voicemail multiple times. Um, eventually I just decided, okay, well, I'm going to leave Rob's number for Delia and she will, you know, take the balls in her court. Yeah. The balls in her her court now. Um, because I just felt like giving up. (laughs) Right. So then I called her and talked to her message again. And so that resulted in a callback. And so she had questions about what we were asking for. Mm -hmm. I had to walk her down away from the bylaw Mm -hmm. and play up the wetland permitting process. I mean, you could just see 
do the shift. It's like, oh, we can do that. We do do that. You know, we, we can do that. And so only then would she, she had to bring it, even though she's the chairperson, she had to bring it up with the others to see if it was worthy to have me come or us go to, to the meeting. And so that's where we're at now is that she's conferring with her team or her committee on, um, on whether it's worthy spending time in Concord with a couple of, a uh, few people out here from the Wilson River Institute. Yep. Uh, but it's just, it's very retail conservation work. It's very person to person. You just have to be patient and not take it personally when they're out of the office and they're not returning your calls. Uh, you just got to stay at it. Uh, but it's, it's very rewarding work because the quality of the relationships are just a blast. I mean, in Dover, they didn't want to stop talking. They kept yep. going on and on, remember? Yeah, they were telling us about uh, this guy who had um, lived by the river, and he had a, had a big mm-hmm. lawn, and so he'd put his pump just to pump all the water out of the river. Not all of it, but he had the agricultural rules for the state are that uh, a landowner next to the river can, they assume that you're like a, potato farmer or something who's a lot of water, tomato farmer, I guess, and could just have, they just couldn't believe how much water legally he could pull out of the Charles in the summer when the whole thing was sinking down into oblivion. And, you know, yeah. So it's it's a a real uh, awakening of uh, learning from these different groups of people and stuff. Yeah. Every town's different. Oh, go ahead. No, I just want to add before you forget, um, it's not just calls we do. Like, actually, last week, we did a lobbying event, which I know we want to talk about that last week, because we didn't have time. Oh, good. At the State House. And I know, like, maybe next week we can talk about this more in detail, because I, I had a really good time yeah. with lobbying. And there's, there's some... Why were we there? Where did we lobby? Oh, yeah. We were with Mass Rivers Alliance, and we're, we met with a lot of good representatives and senators, and I think we have enough to tell from that. It'd be interesting to talk about it. I know, like... Well, yeah. Think about the bills and stuff that we, we were talking about. There are two bills. Mm-hmm. One on uh, sewage, being yeah. up to the rivers, sewage outfalls. And the other being um, drought infrastructure. Right. And the sewage outfall bill is simply letting people know, you know, having towns report what kind of stuff there is. Because yeah. Denise Provost, who we met with, is on the Mystic. And she had people coming to her saying, I'm canoeing the Mystic. You know, what's that? Is that Sasha thing next to me what I really think it is? You know, and she said, yes, it is. You know, and, and so people have a right to know when they're kayaking. Absolutely. They could be or or worse, those stand-up boards or whatever, you know, that you could be in presence of exponent. Um, and then the other bill was on... Um, the drought infrastructure. Yeah. So it's like on... So during times of drought, um, it would give Mass the authority to limit water use, mm-hmm. which has already exists in so many states. And as Mass starts to see more more frequent droughts, yes. it's going to be really important that you can limit that water because it's going to... It's going to be right. essential. If you draw the water down, the river goes dry, yep. especially if you've been drawing the groundwater down so that it can't recharge the river, mm-hmm. and then you have all these dead fish. Yeah. So it's really important that people share water and restrict their use during the drought period. Yeah. For more information about that, oceanriver.org. Drop us a line, uh, info at oceanriver.org. Um, Hunter and Isabel. Hunter, thank you. Of course. Isabel. Of course. Until next time. And for all you listeners, thanks a lot for listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. Uh, Please take care of yourself and then take a moment to take care of this planet of ours. Thanks for listening. 
Thanks again for joining us this week on Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. Please tune in for more with Dr. Rob Moyer next Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk again then. Yeah.